0: We will be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue our study through Matthew chapter 6. This is kind of like, I knew it was Mother's Day, and I knew we were going through Matthew, and I'm praying, Lord, what's this supposed to look like? I want to give a shout out to the moms. We're also in Matthew 6. So um, what the Lord placed on my heart was to read this text, read Uh, this message from Jesus uh, and kind of filter it through the love of a mom, okay? Uh, And I'll explain in detail. uh, The title of this message is how the love of mom is like the love of Christ, okay? How the love of mom is like the love of Christ. Uh, Let me explain. This will give you some heart behind the message and as we go through the text, um, I'll give you different illustrations. And all the points are about mom today, okay? All the points are about mom. So, Jesus communicates direction to us because he loves us, okay? Just like moms, they communicate direction to us because they love us and they want the best for us. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, that's not like Jesus as this dictator-type God. If you love me, you better keep my commandments. It's really more like if I love me, I should keep Jesus' commandments because Jesus gives me commandments to lead me to green pastures, to lead me to still waters. He is giving me commandments. He's giving me direction to lead me in the right direction. That's the same thing that our mothers do, right? They want the best for their kids. So we're going to look at this text and we're going to see the direction that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to talk about Jesus, but we're also going to connect it to how our mothers connect to and understand the heart of Jesus. So before we go into the text, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, uh, Mother's Day, God. um, So grateful for The moms we have, the moms we've had, Lord, um, you had such an amazing mother, Lord, we have such uh, amazing mothers, God, and we just thank you for them, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that your spirit would teach us because your spirit is the teacher, Lord, that you would pierce our hearts with your word, that you would inspire us and motivate us us to uh, become more like you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Bless this time in your name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. Pastor Adam did an amazing message on prayer. Uh, Jesus, he's talking about the secret things here, and he, he talks about charitable deeds and doing those things in secret. Then he talks about prayer, going in your prayer closet and seeking the Lord secretly. Not that we can't pray publicly, but this should be something that's First done in secret. And when we do it publicly, it's just an expression of the time that we've been spending with our father in the secret place. Uh, And Pastor Adam went through the Lord's prayer in detail. And then right at the end of that prayer, Jesus, he says this in verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's interesting, right? And Jesus says this right after the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive us our debts, verse 12, as we forgive our debtors. He's putting this extra emphasis on forgiveness. Why? Because he desires unity amongst his family. This is the first point mom desires unity amongst her family. Mom desires unity amongst her family, okay? I'll explain this in detail. Um, He says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. If we aren't forgiving others, then that, do, that means we don't understand the forgiveness that's been bestowed on us. Forgiveness should be a natural expression to, to others when we consider the forgiveness that's been bestowed on us. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says, forgive others as God in Christ forgave you. Consider what Jesus did for your forgiveness to forgive you consider the act that jesus did on the cross to quench the wrath of god he forgave you you have no business not forgiving others see he's reiterating forgiveness for a reason and he's connecting it to prayer see we have no business going to god without the biblical principle of forgiveness Forgiveness is the only reason that we can come to God. So Jesus is saying, yes, you've been forgiven. Now you have access to God. But remember, God desires you to forgive others as you have been forgiven because he desires that unity amongst the family, okay? See, forgiveness, it's, it's our duty. It's not optional. It's not optional to, oh, I'm going to forgive this person and not forgive this other person. Remember what Jesus is doing here on the Sermon on, on the Mount. He's talking about uh, what it means to be a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, okay? And forgiveness is such an important part of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. If you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then it's your duty, it's your obligation to extend forgiveness. We don't have the privilege. We don't have the option or the opportunity to hold bitterness in our hearts towards people. Now that's hard because there's a lot of people who look at our past and we're like, man, you don't even know what they've done to me. You can say that, but you don't even know what they've done to me. Jesus is saying, look what they did to me. I'm not holding bitterness. As they were crucifying me, I'm praying to the Father, forgive them. There's no evidence of repentance in their lives, but Jesus still says he spreads that forgiveness, and he calls us to do the same thing. See, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, John says it like this. He says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. It's hard to hear, right? Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar, meaning if I'm holding bitterness and hatred in my heart towards someone and I'm not forgiving them, that means that I don't truly love God. What? That's crazy, but it's true. So often I hear um, people, I'll run into people and say, and I'll I'll like evangelize to them or talk to them about the Lord and and they'll say, yeah, I love God, but I don't go to church anymore because I don't like the people. And I'll say, you're a liar. No, I won't really say that to them. <laughs> if I don't know them, I won't really say that. Can I get a water? Um, my mouth. Yeah, I told you guys this last time. My mouth dries out real quick. Um, so, But in all reality, it's true, though. I, I've never said that to someone, uh, but, but it is true. If we say we love God and we're still holding bitterness in our hearts towards others then that's evidence that we truly don't understand the love of God and he says if you love me keep my commandments one of his commandments is extend forgiveness like I've forgiven you see in Matthew chapter 5 thank you so much Adam <laughs> appreciate it Adam's going the second mile putting putting the sermon on the mount into practice he's not just a hearer but a doer of the word it's beautiful so we see back in Matthew chapter five, um, when Jesus is talking about anger, basically sum it up, he says, "Go and reconcile with your brother before you come and give your gifts to God. Reconcile with." your brother or your sister before you pursue fellowship with God. This is an important principle to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, Paul talks about communion, and he's saying, hey, if you're holding bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, paraphrasing, against someone and you're coming to the Lord to seek that communion, you better make things right with your brother or your sister before you pursue that communion, before you try to uh, present yourself right before God. Make things right with your brother. But see, forgiveness is a tricky one. Uh, it's tough, it's hard, but I think we sometimes have a misconception about what biblical forgiveness is. Forgiveness isn't a feeling, okay? It's not like I feel like forgiving someone uh, or I don't feel like forgiving someone so I'm not going to do it. See, forgiveness in the Bible is really communicating before God and man that you've forgiven, forgiven that, that person. In Luke chapter 17, uh, Jesus, he talks about this. In Luke chapter 17, we'll just uh, pick it up in verse 3. He says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him and if he repents, forgive him, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Somebody keeps committing the same sin to you seven times in a day, you keep forgiving him. It's like, what? So this is what the disciples say. This is how they respond. They say, and the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. We can't do that. Are you serious? They do the same thing seven times in a day, and I'm supposed to forgive them? And they realize that it requires faith to forgive. And then Jesus says this interesting thing, and there's a lot to it. He says, so the Lord said to him, if you have faith as as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. just takes a little bit of faith to say you're forgiven. And when you communicate that you're forgiven, I'd say, I forgive you. We have to have a little bit of faith even to communicate that. We also have to have a little bit of faith that God is going to uproot that mulberry tree of bitterness in our hearts and provide that healing. But it starts with just the communication and that when we communicate it in faith, we have to trust that the Lord will change our hearts towards that person. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, in referring to the context is, is conflict and how we deal with a brother in sin, he says, Forgive him 70 times, seven times, like, like an unlimited amount of times. We see seven times here in Luke chapter 17. Jesus says, Never stop forgiving, always be forgiving, forgiving unconditionally. This just reminds me of my mother. She's always forgiven me unconditionally. Like, I know some of you don't know me that well, um, but before I came to the Lord, I was a drug addict. Like, a hideous, horrible drug addict. The things I did to my mom and said to my mom, I won't even say right now. We'll talk about them another time as we grow in relationship. But seriously, when I look at this... (laughs) (laughs) Some of the some of these things can't be shared from the pulpit. It might have to be one-on-one connections. But the things that I said to my mom and the things that I did to my mom, I'm reading this text and I'm looking back on that, and like I just like got teared up. Like she forgave me for so much, so many things. It was the picture of the forgiveness from Christ. Like there was nothing that I could do that she wouldn't forgive me of. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. My mom always had hope. And because she had that hope, she would always forgive me. She'd always extend that forgiveness. And I can look at that now and say, that's a picture of Jesus. That's the extension of forgiveness that I see in my Lord and it see in my Savior. My mom has that character quality. I'm sure you guys can relate with your moms in that unconditional forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6 Verse 16, he's continuing on with the secret things. And he says, "'Moreover, when you fast, "'do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, "'for they disfigure their faces "'that they may appear to men to be fasting. "'Surely I say to you, they have their reward, "'but you, when you fast, anoint your head "'and wash your face, "'so that you do not appear to men to be fasting.'" But to your father who is in the secret place and your father who's in secret will reward you openly. Okay, let's break this down. Fasting. Everybody loves when we talk about fasting in the word because the Lord always speaks to us. "Hmm, When you fast, when's the last time you fasted? Is it time to fast right now? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But look at what he says. He says, when you fast, fasting is a spiritual discipline. When you pray, he says earlier in Matthew 6, when you fast, when's the last time you fasted? See, Jesus says when you fast because it's something that he expects from us. And there's a lot to fasting. We could talk about fasting the whole time and I considered it, but I said, you know, this might not be the most uplifting Mother's Day message if we just focus on fasting. Um, So we're just going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, But we fast, we see, for different reasons. We fast to seek direction from the Lord, both for ourselves and for people. Uh, We also fast to break the chains of bondage, to be delivered from sin, both for ourselves and for people. Um, Isaiah 58 describes a a fast that honors the Lord. And for you students of the Word, if you want to look at Isaiah 58 to dig into that a little bit more, Um, He presents that beautifully, the Lord speaking to Isaiah about a fast that honors him. But look what he says here. Do not be like the hypocrites. Pastor Adam spoke about hypocrisy last uh, teaching, so we have a a decent understanding of what hypocrisy is. They have an appearance of spirituality, but they're not really bearing fruit. Okay? Okay? They look like they're spiritual. They're like whitewashed tombs. They're beautiful from the outside, but inside they're dead. Their hearts are dead. They're not producing fruit. Uh, This is the second point. Mom is more concerned with your heart than your appearance. And I'm not saying I know mom is concerned about your appearance, but that's not what we're saying here. You know, your mom licks her finger and puts it on your face. Make sure you have nothing on your face, right? Make sure your hair is okay. Make sure you look good, you're, you're presented in, 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 a, in a nice appearing way. I'm not talking about that. Moms are more concerned about your heart than what your friends think, okay? That's more like what we see here in the text. It's not about your appearance towards man. It's about your appearance towards God. In Mark chapter 11, uh, we say, see Jesus in his last week on earth Um, Right after the triumphal entry in verse 12 and 13, he comes on the scene and he approaches this fig tree. And from far, the fig tree looked fruitful because it had leaves. And fig trees, they produce figs before they produce leaves. So if it has leaves, it should have fruit, okay? And there's a lot to this. But from afar, it looked good. It looked like it was fruitful. But then when Jesus got up close, there was no fruit. It had an appearance of fruit of spirituality, and appearance of fruit, but when he got up close and personal, when he looked at the heart, there was no fruit. It was fruitless, and he uses this illustration to communicate to the disciples the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Okay, and this is what Jesus is getting at here. He's not about his people appearing to have fruit and being fruitless, and he says this, that they appear to men, To be fasting. Sorry. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, a sad countenance. The Pharisees, they would walk around um, all dirty and sad and sorrowful uh, because they wanted people to look at them and think, wow, they're spiritual, they're fasting. They would typically fast on Mondays and Thursdays because those were. Uh, days that the marketplace was going on, and there was lots of people around, so they'd walk around with their faces to the ground, and they'd look all sad, and it was like, obviously they're fasting, they must be super spiritual. He says, if you have a sad countenance on your face, like, you're not really fasting, you're just not eating, because you're trying to make people look at you and feel sorry for you, but in all reality, that's not what God desires in a fast when you fast you should gain a hunger for god sadness implies that you're missing something okay sadness uh, implies that i lost something but when you're fasting you're gaining much more than you're losing okay so he said you're walking around like you lost something you have to switch your perspective because you're actually gaining something don't be sad that you're fasting be satisfied With God. And when you're satisfied, you're going to have joy. You're not going to have sadness and sorrow. So this is what Jesus is getting at here. He says, they have their reward for they disfigured their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What's their reward? Everyone thinks they're spiritual. Great. You have your reward. Everyone thinks you're spiritual. You got what you wanted. And their efforts to be rewarded by men, they rob themselves from their reward from God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, But you, when you fast and wash your face, sorry, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus says, go the extra mile. Don't even appear like you're fasting at all. Anoint your head and wash your face. Go so far as you appear like you're not fasting. Wash up, take care of yourself. He says, So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place. Your father's in the secret place, and he's looking at the heart of your fasting. He's not looking at the external expression. He's looking at your heart behind the fasting. He says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, this doesn't mean that if someone knows you're fasting, you lost your reward. Okay? And sometimes I'll hear Christians do this. It's like, you know, they're fasting because you all are out to dinner and they're like fasting and they're like, look a little skinny, look a little like flushed a little bit. They're getting up slowly. You can tell they're dizzy. And they're like, hey, you fasting today? No, no, I'm not fasting. You're lying. You're lying. God doesn't want us to say, no, I'm not fasting. Make it so secret that you're lying and you're committing sin. That's not his heart. It's not as hard as all. you see, I'm looking at the heart behind why you're fasting. If you're doing it to appear spiritual before men, you, that's your reward. you lost your heavenly reward. So when someone asks you if you're fasting, you don't have to lie to them and say, "No, I'm not fasting. He's just seeing your heart behind the reason why you're fasting. It's OK if someone asks you if you're fasting and you say, "Yeah, I'm fasting." But if you're sitting here from the pulpit and saying, "Hey guys, I'm fasting today." Now, that is what Jesus is talking about. You lost your reward. It's about the heart, okay? It's not like um, he wants it to be so done in secret that you have to lie about it. He says, and your father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. So the father, he can reward us openly in so many different ways. And he can reward us. He'll talk about laying up our treasures in heaven, we can have heavenly rewards even for fasting. But see, the greatest reward in heaven, apart from being with Christ, is being like Christ. Okay? So we know when we get to heaven, we're going to be with Christ. We also know that we're going to be like Christ. It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now you are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, I believe what Jesus is speaking of here, amongst other rewards, but I think there's a specific reward that he's speaking of right here when he says, the Lord will reward you openly. The more intimate time we spend with the Lord in prayer and in fasting, the more we become like him. So the reward is we get his character. We become like him. People will see openly that you have become like him. I have a friend named Danny Panton. He's a Patmos alumni. He's a missionary in Austria right now. And he fasts and prays more than anyone I know. How do I know? Because I see it all over him. Danny fasts and prays. It's a spiritual discipline that's very important to him. And I can openly see the reward of God in his life because he has so much love. He has so much peace. He has so much joy. It's open. It's obvious. That's our greatest reward for the prayer and fasting is not only do we get to have that intimate intimate time with him, but we become like him. In verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in, sorry, I said that wrong. You can't take your earthly treasures with you to heaven. Remember what Job said in Job chapter 1, verse 21. He said, naked I came into my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not going back to heaven with a, he promised me a glorified body, not a glorified body with the clothes I'm wearing. He said a glorified body. We don't take anything with us as far as earthly possessions are concerned. We see Jesus talk about this in a story in Luke chapter 12. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And if you flip there real quick, we'll just read a couple of the verses. But basically we see this guy that has this great harvest and he's storing up um, he's storing up treasures on earth. He makes this great Uh, storehouse of, of, of a harvest. And at the end of the story, it says here in verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God if you focus on laying up your treasures on earth there might not be anything waiting for you in heaven and that's what we see here with the rich young fool back to Matthew chapter 6 verse 20 it says but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that's a good thing right we get that I miss that don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven Okay, this is the third point, and I'll explain after I make the point. Mom's mom cares more about your character than your finances. Okay, mom cares more about your character than your finances. Jesus is talking about investing in things that are going to last. Well, what's going to last? What will be waiting for us in heaven? Um, there's many things, but I want to talk about three things. God. We know God's going to be waiting for us in heaven, right? We know there will be crowns. There'll be crowns waiting for us in heaven. Crowns, they speak of heavenly rewards for earthly character, okay? And we see several crowns in the New Testament. But Crowns are really heavenly rewards for the character that we display on earth. He said, He'll reward us for our works, our works that line up with good, sincere, honest character. Okay? When Jesus says here, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's a lot to God's will for us on this earth. But if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, we see, follow me here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, we see God's will for us, if you sum it up, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3, for this is the will of God your sanctification, that we would become like him. That's our will, that's God's will for us here on earth. Why? Because that's what his will is for us in heaven, that we will be like him, okay? And there's a lot more to this, but this is part of God's will for us on earth as it is in heaven. He wants, he desires his children to become like him, so he gives us incentive to become like him. He Talks about crowns, okay? Crowns are a form of incentive. Hey, if you do these certain things, you'll win these certain crowns and they'll be laid up for you in heaven. It's like when mom says, if you get a 3.5 or better this semester, we'll have a pizza party. You can have all your friends over. Anyone ever do that? Yeah? Any moms? Ever give incentives for their kids to get good grades? Raise your hand, moms. I know right? We do that. Why? You do that because you want your kids to have good futures. So you give them incentives to establish a character so that they'll produce a, a, so that that character will be produced in them to set them up for success in their future. This is what God does with the crowns. See, when we focus on heavenly rewards, we'll establish good character on earth. When I'm focused on the crowns I'm going to get, it's like, wow, these heavenly rewards, I'm laying up for myself treasures in heaven. When I'm focused on the heavenly rewards, that's going to translate to me having a good godly character here on earth. It's more about, when a mom does that, it's more about the character than it is about the grades. If you establish discipline and diligence, this is going to go beyond just grades. It's going to translate to different aspects of your life, and throughout your life, it will set you up for success. Um, We see different crowns in the Bible. Um, You guys can just write these down real quick if you'd like. Uh, five crowns we see in the Bible as far as heavenly rewards are concerned. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, we see the crown of righteousness. In James chapter 1, verse 12, we see the crown of life. It talks about enduring temptation and having a deep affection for Christ. First Peter chapter 5, verse 9, we see the crown of glory. It's the crown for service. So all of you that came to the servants' meeting last week, the crown of glory will be waiting for you in heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, the, the soul winner's crown. Uh, the crown that you gain for those that you shared the gospel with and received it. There's actually a crown for that. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, the martyr's crown. Probably not everyone looking forward to gaining that one, but if it happens, there's a crown for you. But this is the reality. Now is our time to earn heavenly rewards, not later. We don't earn heavenly rewards. There's no indication in the scripture when we're in heaven, we earn them here on earth in the time that we have here on earth. And we'll see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 to 10, um, we're going to be throwing our crowns to the feet of Jesus anyways because he was the one that gave us his divine nature, that gave us his character to earn those crowns anyways. But we see crowns in heaven. We see God crowns. We also see people. People will be waiting for us in heaven. If you look at Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, there's this really interesting story. It's called the um, parable of the unjust steward. Now there's this guy uh, and Basically, what happens? There's a master and there's a steward, and the steward is dealing unjustly with the master's possessions. Master finds out about it. He fires him um, just before everybody knows that the unjust steward is fired. He starts making deals with people. All right, I'll cut. Um, the, what you owe my master in half for this thing, for wheat and for this other thing. So what the unjust steward is doing is he's focusing on the relationships that he has, that he still has, so that he has an opportunity in the future. Okay, there's a lot to this story as well, but look at verse eight. It says, so the master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Jesus is speaking to the fact that the sons of this world, they're worried about their retirement. They're worried about what happens to their future. But the sons of light, they're not considering their eternal future and they're not laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. They're like, well, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm going to heaven. And Jesus is like, how good do you want heaven to be? It's gonna be perfect for everyone, but how much do you want to increase your capacity to experience perfection? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he says in verse 9, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now this is a confusing one, but to sum it up, Jesus is saying, focus on relationships over material possessions. Because when you fail, when you die, they're going to be the ones that receive you into an everlasting home. Your money's not going to be there take the material things that you have and use it to build relationships because it's not going to be the material things waiting for you in heaven. It's going to be the people that you impacted by giving away material things and expression to expand the kingdom of God. It's going to be people that are waiting for you with open arms to welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. So this is a point he's making here. Focus on relationships because those are the things that are going to last for eternity. Focus on the relationships you have now. Focus on the relationship that you have with your mom. If you have your mom, I'm sure you've done something nice for her for Mother's Day. Those relationships are so important. You never know how much time you're going to have if you don't have a mom. Uh, My wife lost her mom. If you don't have... A mom here today, maybe she's eagerly waiting for you in heaven to receive you with those open arms. And I believe that's the case for her, and that might be the case for some of you. But regardless, this is what's important. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. These are the things that are valuable in our time here on earth. Focus on those relationships. And then he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting. He doesn't say, Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will follow your treasure. Your heart will follow your treasure. If you're investing in heavenly things, then your heart will be set on heavenly things. If you're investing in material things, then your heart will be set on material things. What do you say? Your heart follows your actions, okay? Your heart follows your actions. It's not the other way around, Jesus is saying. What you store up, what you invest in, the time you spend on whatever, your heart's gonna follow that. For example, um, devotions in the morning, morning devotions. How many people do their morning devotions? Don't tell me, I'm kidding, you don't have to tell me. (laughs) But in all sincerity, what Jesus is saying, when we invest time into our morning devotions. It might be hard in the beginning. It was hard for me. Waking up at the crack of dawn, spending that time in the Word, but when I started investing into it, I gained a heart for it. Same thing with prayer. You start doing it. The more you do it, the more time you invest in it, you gain a heart for it. Same thing with fasting. It's what Jesus is getting at. The things you invest into, your heart is going to follow those things. By doing it, you'll gain a heart for it. Matthew chapter. 6, verse 22, he says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What Jesus is getting at here is the eye is the place where where we receive light, it's the lamp of the body, this is where we receive light is in the eye, and it has the opportunity to light up the whole body. If the, if the eye is blind and it's not receiving light, you're going to be full of darkness, okay? So the fourth point, mom is concerned about what we set our eyes on. Mom is concerned about what we set our eyes on. Why? Because what you set your eyes on becomes what you set your heart on, and what you set your heart on becomes your God. And whoever your God is, you're going to become like that God. So it starts with the eye. I. I set my eye on it, then my heart's going to follow. What I set my heart on is going to become my God, and I'll clarify this in verse 24. And when I have a God on my heart, I'm going to be like him. We will be like the God that we worship. If I set my eyes on the God, if I set my eyes on the kingdom of God, I'm going to experience life and light. If If I set my eyes on any other God, I'm going to experience death and darkness. Now, let's just look at this practically about looking at, at, at violence, at, at sex, at, at, at drugs, look, letting all these things come into the lamp of the body, you defile the whole body. If you look at those things long enough, that looking is going to lead to thinking, is going to lead to something in your heart, is going to lead to action in your life. See, I think moms get this. I think moms get this even more than dads. Moms, moms know this principle. See, my mom wouldn't let us watch certain things. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My parents are saved now, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, but my mom still, she, she wouldn't want me to watch certain things. My dad didn't really care. My dad would let us watch certain things when we were a kid. Sometimes he'd let us watch, like, MTV. Sometimes he'd let us watch, like, Beavis and Butthead. But see, my mom understood this principle. She knew that the things I let come into my eyes would eventually affect my character. My brother and I ended up like Beavis and Butthead for a long time <laughs> before we ever turned things around and gave our lives to the Lord. It's true. What we set our eyes on, we become like those things. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is believed to be the god of money, that there's this spiritual entity behind money. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve two gods because there's only one God. Jesus tells of this story in Luke chapter 18 of a rich young ruler. Now, it says here in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Basically, Jesus is saying, Are you calling me God? says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. What is Jesus doing there? He's addressing the last six commandments of the ten that pertain to loving people. He's not addressing the first four that pertain to loving God because he's trying to lead the rich young ruler to realize the reason why he's not good. He's good because he doesn't have God. He's not good, sorry. He's not good because he doesn't have God. He's not good because he's worshiping another God other than the true God. And he addresses it right here in verse 21. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. So what does Jesus do? He calls him out on his idolatry. You're worshiping the God of Mammon. You're, You're bound by materialism. Money and finances are gonna rob you of the kingdom of heaven. You're worshiping those things, and you're unwilling to worship the one true God. It's preventing you. This thing is preventing you from heaven because you don't have relationship with God, and only through relationship with God are we deemed good enough to enter eternal life. So he's unwilling to let go of his God, and he walks away sorrowfully. This is what Jesus is getting at here. Serving God versus serving riches, worshiping the true God or the God of, of mammon. It says either you'll, he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you're serving money, then you'll despise God when he asks you to give some away. When God asks us to give up our little g-gods, we got two choices. If we're truly worshiping Him and serving Him, then we're going to submit. But if we're worshiping that other God, and that other God has gained a higher position or throne on our hearts, when God, the real God, asked us to get rid of that other God, we're going to despise Him, and we're going to rebel against Him. That's what Jesus is getting Now he's, he's a jealous God. There's only one God. Serve the one God and love him or serve the other gods and walk away sorrowfully. He says, can't serve God and mammon. The way to tame the God of mammon is to give. It's to give. Okay, because we can all fall into this, especially in Uh, America. You go to different countries and it's like weird how the enemy works in different countries. Like there's crazy stuff that happens and I see in like Africa and and other parts of the world and how the enemy works. I think the enemy is so focused in America and and, in tempting people with material things. It's so prevalent here in this country. In other countries, it's straight up like demons, like demon possessions, and he's coming out very obvious, and in this country, in America, it's, it's so often that um, he's, he's a little more crafty, a little more deceitful, and he gets us to worship these material things, the god of mammon, if you will, and again, to tame the god of mammon, the way we do that is to give things away. I'm not saying, like the rich young ruler, you have to give all of your stuff away, Like, I don't want to come here on Sunday and everybody's like wearing rags and you have nothing left and no one has cars in the parking lot because they rode their bikes or they walked because you thought that that's what I was trying to say or whatever. If God told you to do that, then go ahead and do it. But that's not what I'm getting at. That's not what Jesus is getting at. Material things in and of themselves aren't bad. It's just if they start to control your life, they can become your God. They can become bad. See if we're not, if we're not giving, this is a, an essential component to the citizenship of kingdom giving, okay If we're not giving, then we're missing something. If we are giving, then we aren't losing something, but we're gaining something, right? Uh, Malachi talks about this in Malachi chapter three. So interesting how this works the one time where God tells us to test them. He says, test them in this. Look at it, it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have you robbed me in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house, and try me now in this says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God says we're robbing him by not tithing. Why? Because everything is his already. I've heard it said before um, that, that tithing and giving is not a way for God to raise money, but a way for God to raise children he's trying to produce that character in us, that character uh, of giving. He says, test me in this. Try me in this. See if what you give to me, I don't expand that and make it so much greater than the little tiny bit that you gave to me. Test me and see. Now, after this, Jesus is going to talk about why we shouldn't worry, and just the fact that we shouldn't worry. But this is, um, there's a reason why he's doing it like this, because he talks about giving, then he addresses the, the God of mammon. He's talking about wor- the worshiping of money, the worshiping of material things. Because when we're worshiping other gods other than the real God, it will lead us to worry. When we put some other God or some other thing on the throne of our hearts, then it will lead us to worry. Why? Because we're trusting in something other than the only one that can be trusted. Whether that's ourself, whether that's materialism, whatever it, whatever it may be, We're trusting something else to take that position of God of our lives, and we're not trusting the true God. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, he says, don't trust in riches, but trust in the living God, okay? So it takes trust to tame the God of mammon and give things away. Now, Jesus is saying, don't be concerned about those things. You need not worry about those things. If you're serving God, if you're seeking the kingdom of God, then you have nothing to worry about. So before we talk about worry, real quick, this is the last last section. Look what Jesus is saying here. In verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When Jesus is communicating, He's communicating His heart, therefore, He's communicating His treasure. Let me explain. When moms talk about things, like the number one thing in my experience with moms that moms talk about. Is their children okay? They talk about their children more than anything. Why? Because that's their most valued possession, that's their treasure. Okay, this is the fifth point. What moms talk about, what mom talks about is what mom cares about. Okay, this is the case for my sister all the time, she's always talking about my nieces and my nephew. my wife is always talking about our furry little child, Luca. He's, he's a dog. He's a little puppy. When I'm at the gym, I always hear the ladies talking about their kids and what their kids are doing. They're talking to each other, their friends. They're having their little fellowship for the morning, and they're always talking about their kids. See, this is the same for Jesus. This is why Jesus so often speaks about creation. And This is what Jesus is going to do here in this text. Let's read, and I'll further explain. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the illustrations that he uses. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows what you need. Sorry that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, when you hear teachers communicate so often the illustrations that they use are the things that are the dearest and nearest to their hearts, okay? You'll hear moms talk about children. You might hear Pastor Adam talk about um, his job because he loves his job, right? We'll hear people communicate. I might use illustrations about the gym or about Patmos or about whatever because that's, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where my heart is, there my treasure is also. It's where my heart is. So that's what we communicate. It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus' heart is for creation. Creation is his heart. Creation is his treasure. That's why he uses These illustrations, if you have a treasure, you're going to do whatever you can to protect it, right? Especially if it's your most valued treasure. See, Jesus' heart is for creation. His treasure is creation. But if you imagine creation as a treasure box, we would be the diamonds of his creation. See, the people, God's people, are his most valued possession. We're so valuable that he can't stop thinking about us. It's Psalm 139. Verse 17 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Think about that. Think about sand. Okay, who likes the beach here? I love the beach, okay? Think about sand, all the grains of sand, not just in Huntington Beach, but in the entire world. That's what David's describing here. God thinks about us that much, meaning he obsesses over us, meaning he can't stop thinking about us because we're his most valued possession. So much so that he's concerned about every detail of your life. Flip with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Verse 6. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs." of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. He cares about every hair on your head. He's so concerned about you that you don't need to be concerned about yourself. God's concerned about things in my life that I'm not even concerned about. I'm not concerned about the hairs on my head, but God is. Some of you might be concerned about the hairs on your head, But I assure you that God is even more concerned, okay? He cares deeply and intimately about every single detail of our life. He cares that much. If He cares that much, then what do we have to worry about? This is the only thing we have to worry about. It's verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I have nothing to worry about other than seeking first the kingdom of God. The more I seek him, the more I understand him, and the more I realize I have nothing to worry about. He loves me. He's going to take care of me. Every single need, every detail, even the things that I'm not concerned about, he's going to take care of those things. In fact, He loves us so much. Yes, he's going to provide all of those things. He loves us even more than our mothers ever could. He loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. See, now, your mom, my mom, would probably die for me. A mom would probably die for her kids, but not everybody else's kids. Jesus died for everybody's kids in hope that they would become his kids before they were even his kids. That's the love of Christ. Our reasonable response to his love, to this act of love, should be to trust him with our lives. When we truly make Jesus our God and our king, then we have nothing else to worry about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for... um, Your goodness, God, you're, you're so good to us. And you give us direction um, because you love us. You're trying to lead us to green pastures and still waters. Lord, and I pray that we would be people that recognize your love for us. We would choose to love you back. And that expression of love would be carried out in the way we obey the things that you say. Not that we have to, but because we love you, Lord. And I pray that um, your love for us would be the thing that compels us uh, to obey every direction that you give us. God, thank you for um, the moms that you place in our life, Lord, to, to help teach us some of these things. Lord, but thank you more importantly for the cross and what you did to make us your kids. Jesus, we love you. In your name, amen.